When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome, this is Budgie, and uh, I'm about to introduce you to a Curious Creatures special edition, in which we feature um, an excerpt from the audiobook uh, edition of Goth, that's Lol Tollers, my uh, partner in crime here. The book is now available in the USA and the UK, so order your copy now and enjoy the excerpt. Thank you. August the 16th. 1977. Night time. I am in a darkened bedroom in my hometown of Crawley, listening to the radio in the late-night gloom with a girl called The Raven. She has long, straight black hair and all black clothes. I am 18 years old. The Raven turns the radio's tuning knob, trying to find something in the airless room to listen to. A crackle of static and a breathless voice eerily intones. The king is dead. Elvis Presley, the king of rock and roll, died tonight in Memphis, Tennessee. To us, Memphis might as well have been the moon. It was that far from our experience of growing up in the ever-present doom of Thatcher's post-war Britain. We knew Elvis's death meant something, but what? The changing of the guard? A way forward? Elvis's journey may have come to an end, but mine was just beginning. Together with my friends Robert Smith and Michael Dempsey, we started on the path to recording The Cure's first album, Three Imaginary Boys. The songs were sparse and angular, somewhere between punk and pop, but the title track provided an indication of where the band was headed. Stark lyrics of longing and shadow came from a dream I had that haunted me for days. Robert perfectly melded the words with his guitar and melancholy vocals suspended on the minimalist framework of my Spartan drums and Michael's melodic pulse. I think we knew it was the right way for us, even before we really understood it. That year, among the books I read, were Camus' The Stranger, Plath's The Bell Jar, and Sartre's Nausea. They all spoke to something darker within me, but also something more beautiful, and it inspired my playing. All of us channeled the pensive yearning of our souls into the music we were making that summer of 77 and discovered the blueprint for the cure's oeuvre. We had seen the disease. The cure was inevitable. Like x respect they didn't have a lot of money behind them in terms of their record deals and things like that. So they had to just do a lot of stuff themselves. So it became really, really super creative process of making your own clothes, making your own posters. Like, and my mum did all of the posters. She did the album art. She did made her own clothes, jewelry. The, you know, the whole thing. She was styling the band. Like, um, and that was just out of necessity. Hi, this is Lowell Tolhurst, co-founder of The Cure. This is Budgie, co-founder of The Creatures, drummer with The Slits, 
and Susie and the Banshees. Welcome to Curious Creatures. Life after punk. You may think you know the territory, but we, we drew, drew the map. map. Your mum's, the, the lyrics she was singing, uh, the words she was writing, are very in line with um, the type of things that, uh, that Viv Albertine was writing about f- f- with the slits. It was very uh, domestic. It was urban. It was um, a, a woman's experience or a young girl's experience. Uh, Susie, similar. Um, she was writing about, you know, suburban relapse and, um, you know, Palmolive is writing adventures close to home. These were, uh, you know, it was things that guys were not writing about. You know, men in bands were not writing about, you know, the shifting of um, neck curtains and apart from the stones and mention of mother's little help, you know. I think the the, the thing that was definitely started in punk was was like, you know, it it was a a feminism that was going to come out. Nobody was going to be able to stop that. And it was a beautiful thing to see because like, you know, I was thinking about it before then in the seventies, a lot of lyrics for rock bands were like mustachioed misogynistic guys. And it didn't really, there was no talk about feelings or how things affected you. It was just, it, it was very sort of obvious stuff. And your mother's stuff was much more introspective. And, you know, it was something that Growing up at that time, I could relate to more because it was more how I felt, yeah. you know, as well. So it was like through her becoming, you know, this champion of, of you know, women and difference, she made a mm-hmm. difference. And that's really, to me, what was the most important thing about her, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, how do you feel? Because it's like, you know, it's your mum, so it's always, there's always something <laughs> different, you know. Yeah, I, don't, I mean, I, I agree because... You know, the first sort of punk that I heard was my mum's music. And um, I listened to Gem for Adolescence when I was um, about 15. I think I, I sort of listened through, you know, fully listened to the album properly all the way, all the way through. And um, I was really, really impressed, you know, objectively impressed. Yeah. Um, with specifically with the lyrics like the music you know i was i was not really into guitar music at all at that at that time i was you know like into more electronic music let's say so um i was not really paying too much attention to the music but i was really really captivated by the lyrics um and i think it's because they're quite timeless lyrics you know they speak to they will speak to each generation really sure. um yeah. and they and they kind of just have more and more relevance mm. um as the years go by you know and and so that's i think Absolutely. what's quite remarkable i still think that today because even songs like germ for adolescence let's say so when when she wrote it you know, I think a lot of people would have thought, oh, they're quite bizarre lyrics. You know, what's that about? It's like kind of about you think of someone with OCD. Um, and again, like people weren't really talking about OCD in the in the late 70s, I think. No, um, no not at all. And, no, right. and, but then, you know, 2019, 2020, we have this 
COVID pandemic, and then you're like, oh my God, the lyrics are so uh, are so prescient. You know, it's like yeah. you may get to touch her if your uh, gloves are sterilized. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, rinse your mouth with Listerine, blow disinfectant in her eyes. Like, you know, you could even see that as a that song was written for the COVID age because yeah. it's kind of like a a love song in in a in a sanitary sanitized world where no one everyone's afraid to touch each other. You know, so it's uh, quite incredible in that sense. The lyrics. She'd come on. Uh, she'd come a long way from a bondage up yours mm. musically mm-hmm. to Jeffrey Adolescence. The the melody of Jeffrey Adolescence is it, it it touched me. I was like last night remembering, and it's just a beautiful, as you say, like a love song. Mm-hmm. The, the words. Take on a different meaning, but it's the melody and the the the, 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 the almost like a lament. It's a very moving uh, song. It is a a pain, a pain to you know people without a voice, uh, whatever it seems. I was going to ask you. It struck me also that X-ray Specs were one of the first of the bands, the early, if you like unquote unquote punk bands that went to America. Is that right? Am I? Yeah, no, mis- that's right. How was that experience? Um, yeah, it was so you know we talk about that quite a lot in the film, the New York um, chapter. So it's it's kind of a chapter of the film, and it was definitely a really important chapter in, in X respect sort of short history mm. when they were together. Um, and uh, also, it was a really formative experience for my mom. So they went they were invited by the owner manager of cbgb's mm-hmm. um and that was on the bowery and it was you know it was kind of the epicenter of punk in the us at that time and so they were invited and there were very few uk bands at that time who had played cbgb's i believe it was just it was just my mum's band and maybe the damned had um, had played um, at that time. I don't even think the pistols had played. Yeah. Yeah, I might be wrong, but I, th- I think it was uh, they were one of the first UK punk bands um, to to go at that time and they had a residency so it was um, Playing twice a night for. That's right. Yeah. Uh, I believe it was a, a month, maybe it's between two weeks and a month, and um, wow. it was uh, very intense. Yes. <laughs> uh, that is intense. I mean, it was kind of like, you know, it was a peak and it was a big low um, for my mom in terms of her mental health and the impact that had. Um, because New York was just like way more intense than than London in terms of the drug scene, in terms of uh, the, the punk scene itself. So if no. you know, if we if we thought the the crowd at Eric's <laughs> were badly behaved, <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> CBGBs was like probably a million times worse because you know you we we um, had some audio from an X-Ray Specs gig at CBGB and you know people in the crowd there's a guy and he's like who the fuck are you you know 
um, with like total disdain <laughs> and uh, that kind of bored angst, you know. Um, yeah, it was it was quite it was quite heavy. I think the whole the whole experience. I asked because I just remember we also had a similar thing. The Banshees got there way, way much later because uh, because of the circumstances. They didn't get um, the band together for like, I think it was 82 when we went over, so 81. But we were doing two shows a day at the Whiskey in California, in Los Angeles. And um, it was uh, mind twisting you know we were i was i'm i'm i think all of us at some point we just broke down in tears because we were exhausted emotionally drained um physically drained because of the heat and uh, the intensity of the gigs and we'd never experienced anything like it i think the the clash went over and it's probably what made them what they did a residency in new york and it was huge 26 days in bonds i i remember the first time when we the secure was probably 1980 late 79 80 and we went to new york and we played hurrahs which was like this big disco mm. and uh you know simon remembers it because like people were going you know some people liked us and then there were some people that were going hey piss on portobello and we were like <laughs> What does that even mean? You know, what does that even mean? But they were just thinking, well, that's what you say if you're punk, you know. Yeah. So, um, but generally, it was, it was good. And then we got to LA, and it was we played the whiskey, and it was it was great. I mean, it was like you know, by that time, sort of attitudes and everything had had like coalesced. You know, there was a bit more communication about what's going on, and it was it was. Uh, much better but it's um yeah. yeah it was always weird at the beginning i can't imagine what it'd be like to play cbgb's because that was a you know very intense environment absolutely hardcore hardcore i believe god i was gonna say there's a great quote uh, on the is that is it on the trailer for your film is it worse uh, the voiceover says um it wasn't that polystyrene was uh, you know to catch up with the world it was we were waiting for the world to catch up with polystyrene is that is that right yes that's right yeah yeah there are so many so many great quotes i have a good one i i always remember seeing x-ray specs and i thought how he's got the biggest drum kit i've ever seen he had a huge drum kit <laughs> bp was the drummer um big paul and um yeah it was an impressive impressive uh kit yes i think drums really you know a lot obviously the sax is a standout with extra specs but for me the drums really made the the sound to a large extent oh okay okay Celeste we love you even more now now you said that <laughs> <laughs> yes you see Lol and I would have to agree with you completely 100% and and say that probably the drums were key to the sound and the success <laughs> Yeah, apart from you know, present company accepted. <laughs> yeah, we we agree with we agree with um, with James Brown. All music is drums, right? So there you go. All musicians are drummers, and all musicians are drummers. <laughs> right. yeah. My mum was very very impressed with uh, with BP's drumming because she was all you know to find a really good drummer that was because her whole thing was being tight. You know, she wanted the band 
to be really tight um, because I think there were so many bands, you know, that had come up through the Roxy like they had um, that couldn't, they couldn't really play that well, let's face it. Um, yeah. And my mum was always insecure about that, you know, that mm. they were not sounding, you know, like a professional band. And so she was, um, she was always on it, you know, on the drums, especially because that's, as she saw it, that's how, you know, that was kind of key for the band to sound really, really tight and also high energy because that's what she always said, you know, that we're a high energy rock and roll band. <laughs> that's how she described them. Your mum got on, did your mum get on the kit and, and like, she's like, like this, do it like this? Yes, well, she would, my mum would, you know, when she was writing, she couldn't write music, for example, so she would sing you know, the bass lines, she would sing the chords, uh, you know, and she would, she would be like, yeah, like kind of giving instructions for all the instruments, actually. Um, she, she was definitely like, you know, a producer t as well. She had that mentality, uh, kind of a producer mentality, definitely, when it came to music making. It's interesting. I I was I noticed something last night. I, I think it, it was there in Oh Bondage, and it was there later in I can't remember which song it was, but there was like she had a way of writing and adding two beats. There was always a half bar somehow, and it was a really unusual kind of structure. And it it was probably never I don't know maybe I, maybe it was but it, it didn't it was seen to be one of those things that the band had to understand especially the drummer there's one two three four two two three four one two one two three it was like that kind of thing and it's the way the lyrics went and the song followed the structure of the lyrics as it should but it was a way that she phrased things it's like a, a rhythm that was going on. It definitely that's um she was playing a lot with I think and I think there were lots of other punk bands who did the same was this um 1950s influence on on the song structure and uh, the you know the 1950s style pop song so I think you get like so there's a song on the album called I can't do anything and um and that is uh, you know like do and the Freddy tried to strangle me with my like the rhythm of that is you know it's a 1950s pop song it's she was really influenced by um Chuck Berry it's right you got those the, the, the do-what bands and even do like the, yeah. the, the old blues guys as well mm -hmm. yeah. they were just kind of like there was no such thing as like loads of four bar phrases in a row they just kind of changed when they felt like it and it was usually to do with the feel yeah, I like all this talk. It's it's it it just it it validates a lot for me. Where you say there was, you know, as a drummer, I spent a long time before I felt I was a musician, and yet I had opinions about the music all the time. Mm -hmm. and when I was playing, as I say, with the the slits and the first album, the first track on the album, it starts in five four and goes into four four and comes back into five four, and we never talked about it. Nobody ever discussed it. So it's just one of those things. But it can seem really smart and clever. Well, it was. But it was so smart and clever because we never even mentioned it. Well, there you go. 
pure genius. And I think there's a lot, a lot misunderstood, you know, from the outside looking in. Uh, you see um, the way people cope with, you know, oh, what's the fun element? You know, what really was your mum's passion? You know, the dressing up and the design of everything and uh, an image of something she was creating. But also, it came out in music and lyric and poetry. You know, it's it's an interesting. It's more complete art in a way mm. than a mere painting, a mere single item. You know. Yeah, and I, I think that's what was unique, probably about punk, um, was that in the sense that, you know, you'd had bands before that had experimented with fashion and art, of course, but I think because a lot of these young punk bands like X-Respect, they didn't have a lot of money behind them in terms of their of record deals and things like that. So they had to just do a lot of stuff themselves. So it became really, really super creative process of making your own clothes, making your own posters. Like, And my mum did all of the posters. She did the album art. She did made her own clothes, jewellery, you know, the whole thing. She was styling the band. Mm-hmm. like. Um, and that was just out of necessity. Um, but, you know, I think that is kind of what elevated punk just beyond what it kind of could have been on the surface. You know, yeah. I think there were elements of it that people like my grandmother just thought was silly. But then, you know, in fact, when you, you know, kind of really look at what, what they were doing, was it was something much, much more... Um, I think, yeah, you've got to recognise the artistry, basically, of it um, beyond beyond the, you know, the um, the high energy <laughs> rock and roll, as my right. mum would say. <laughs> right, right. It was it was a true, true revolution in the end. Celeste, is your is your grandmother still still around? Um, no, no, not my mum's mum. She passed away um, about yeah eight years ago now. So just before I started making the film, she was a great a great lady. She was born in nineteen twenty seven. So very different generation. What did she think of everything her daughter was doing? She was obviously so proud of my mum. My mum was the eldest child. Um, and my nan had had, you know, my mum was very smart and she was a great reader when she was a child. So my mum, my grandmother kind of had ambitions that my mum would have gone to university and would have uh, a career like medicine or something. I think my nan wanted my mum to be a doctor. So I guess she was, you know, not too impressed in the beginning that my mum was uh, had chosen this kind of very unstable career choice you know being a musician yes vouch for the instability <laughs> yes she could my nan couldn't relate to punk whatsoever just in terms of you know definitely wasn't her cup of tea <laughs> but um no dear no not like that <laughs> <laughs> i mean there's one story i tell you that my nan told me because I, I grew up with my like my nan looked after me um for most of my childhood because you know my mom struggled with mental illness so my my nan was like my second mom yeah my nan was quite proper you know like 
us. She was a secretary, and <laughs> so she, she definitely. Uh, Your nan didn't want to go out with you because you were always wearing different coloured socks. Well, right? my mum. She didn't want to go out with my mum because in the punk days. My mum would be wearing like, you know, one pink and one green sock. <laughs> so my nan didn't want to go on the street with my mum. Yes. What would the neighbours say? One green sock and one <laughs> pink sock. Yeah. Can I ask one more question before we go? Uh, when I know you went through, of course, the archive, your, your mum's archive of writing and paintings and artwork and clothing. What was the was there a moment when you, you if you like you took a, bre- a breath and went oh my goodness look at that oh definitely I mean it, I think it was when I first started to um to to org- start organising it um because and I hadn't had time to to really kind of process what was there and and kind of um, yeah like organise it all. So um, just when I started to actually sit down and do it, it was, yeah, I was so many moments. I was, you know, I studied history um, and, you know, like having these um, basically pieces of history in my hands, um, you know, it's like definitely like... Time uh, capsule. Time, exactly, um, was just amazing. And I I just learned so much. There was so much I didn't know that I learned just through the archive you know there was so much in there just in terms of yeah like lyrics that had never been published poems little short stories um and then all the newspaper clippings and interviews and uh and then the artwork but in terms of the 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 story it was all the mainly the written um pieces you know of, of text that was just like very, very rich. Special moments, really special moments. Very much so, yeah. Oh, it's it's a it's a lovely sort of way to close. I think nice a nice kind of image. Open opening a box like a light comes on if it was in a film. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you for um, taking me down memory lane, and you certainly put me back in uh, Eric's Club in Liverpool, where it all began for me. And <laughs> just just for saying, uh, I'm just for being so. Um, easy to talk to it's nice uh, we feel like we, we, we're sharing very much uh, some personal moments with you thank you thank you both and it was really great it's been lovely and if anybody knows where BP's drum kit is just send the coordinates please I'll ask BP I'll ask BP <laughs> we're in touch so. do 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 <laughs> bye for now bye bye for now take care bye Curious Creatures is created and presented by Lol Tolhurst and Budgie. Producer, Joe Wong. Producer and audio designer, Dan Didier. Executive producer, Mark Cates. Associate producer, Sophie Wilde. Digital marketing, Margie Taylor. Art and logo design, Justin Thomas Kay. Music production, Jack Knife Lee. Assistant editor, Ben Miller. Curious Creatures is on the web and you can access us at www.curiouscreaturespodcast.com And you can reach us on Instagram and Facebook at Curious Creatures Official Twitter at Cure Creatures To find more of the best music podcasts visit doubleelvis.com or follow at doubleelvis on Instagram or at doubleelvis on Twitter 
Curious Creatures is a production of LXB LLC 2023.